0: All right. Well, so, uh, once again, I'll do that. Good morning. Welcome to the firehouse. Um to be with us, thanks for making uh, the choice to join us this morning. And, uh, hope you have a good time here. Hope, hope you come back. We'll see uh, how it goes here. Um, we are in the uh, Kind of in a journey of the Book of Acts right now, and so we are going to be continuing, kind of Acts, the continuing saga here. We're going to look at the Acts chapter nine today. So, um, if you have a house Bible, we will be uh, beginning on page uh, 1087 with Acts chapter nine. We're really going to look at the, the story of Saul. I might call it the Saul's road to Jesus. So. Um, Acts chapter 9 but um, before we get started with Acts chapter 9 we're going to have a little fun with a story uh, you might call it Judah's Road to the Thatcher here so uh, we've got a few um, so this is uh, yeah oh here we go break or break the one niner okay Um, so this is a Judah's road to the Thatcher's so along the journey there. He was obviously, he had a travel companion that did most of the work for him. My dear wife here. This was, uh, I think, the day before we, we had, we delivered him there. And so, so we were just getting kind of a before. This is this is Judah Paul Thatcher in the hospital there. And so um, he was, some of the statistics on him, I'm sure you all want to know. He was born at, uh, let's see, it was one 18 9 so the 18th of January, 09 there. Um, he was born at approximately 8.29 p.m. So not quite 8.30 yet, of course. And, uh, and his weight was 8 pounds and 5 ounces. So he was a good healthy size. His brother was uh, born at 8 pounds, 6 ounces. So. And then the length, he was 20 and a half inches uh, long at birth. There. So that's, those are all good stats if you're wondering. Um So anyways, let's see what else we have. There's uh, Big Sister Rory holding her little brother. There's Big Brother Justice holding his little brother. And there's Graham also taking a turn there, holding her brother too. So we've uh, really been uh, enjoying having Judah at home. If you haven't got to see him, he's he's sitting over here um, by my dear wife. They're hanging out here. So um, anyways, I think, is that the last one of those? So, anyways, it's I uh, appreciate you know everyone who helped along the way, kind of uh, watching the kids as we went to the hospital to and from and all that, and um, and the meals. I know there's a, just a, a real blessing in the church that uh, people sign up for meals for those who've had babies. And so, you know, I think we've had meals for the last few. I think this week, really. And so, there've been some awesome, wonderful meals. I think we get them all for a, for a month or something. So, thank you so much for uh, helping out that way too. It's really also cut down on, on the dishes I have to do as well. So, anyways, but anyways, back to Saul's road to Jesus here. Um, if you got any questions about Judah? Let me know. It's fun. We have a family I think visiting us today who have a five, I think a five-week-old boy, and his name is, is Judah as well. So um, that's wonderful. It's a good. Great minds think alike, I think they say there. So, anyways, um, so before we jump into Acts chapter nine, we're just going to pray. We're going to look at uh, this chapter together. We're really going to look at the, the part that concerns Saul here um, and, and some things we can learn from his story about God and about our lives. So let's just pray together real quick. Heavenly Father, we do, uh, we do just want to come before you humbly and we ask that you would meet us here this morning. We ask that you would open our eyes to see to see you through the scriptures here this morning, that we would be able to learn uh, more about you as, as we read your interactions with Saul here and, and what we can know uh, is true about you even today. And I, I pray that you would help each one of us to hear from you. Give us tender hearts, sensitive hearts to anything you would speak to us this morning. And we don't deserve that you should speak to us, but we ask that just in your mercy and in your grace that you would and just make this this time a Beneficial for us and for your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, Amen. All right, so Acts chapter nine here. Oh see, cha- chapter nine, verse one. Here we go. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. "'Ananias!' "'Yes, Lord,' he answered. "'The Lord told him, "'Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street "'and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, "'for he is praying. "'In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias come "'and place his hands on him to restore his sight. "'Lord,' Ananias answered, "'I have heard many reports about this man "'and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem.' And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. After taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ. After many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul, on his journey, had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with him and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He taught and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the brothers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It drew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. So, there we have an awesome story of how God intervened in Saul's life, how he revealed himself personally to Saul and turned his life around radically. And we're going to look at Saul's story and try to see... um, we'll see some things that are obviously unique to Saul's conversion, to Saul's testimony. And then we'll also see some things that uh, he sets an example to us that we can all learn from about even our own testimonies and, and how to use them with others and um, even how to develop our story from, Paul, from Saul's example here. So um, let's see here. In your handout, um, we're going to start, we'll read this verse from First Timothy I hope you have a handout if you don't um, raise your hand we can get you one there um, I've got a few blanks for you to fill in but uh, we'll just start with this first verse that, that Paul formerly Saul wrote to Timothy he said but for that reason I was shown mercy so that in me the worst of sinners Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life You know, like I say, in a lot of ways, Saul's story is very unique. I don't know if there's anyone in this room who saw, who God personally revealed himself through a a blindingly bright light, knocking you to the ground and sharing with you about who he really was. Anyone have that happen to them? Okay, Eric. All right. Well, that would be an interesting story to hear. All right. Um, But Saul had this experience. This is how God got... Saul's attention. It's very unique in some ways, but in another way, um, he says of his own story and example of how he found the mercy of Jesus Christ. Um, he said that that could even serve as a pattern for the rest who would come to believe on Jesus and receive eternal life. And So we're going to try to see some of those things that we can learn from, from Saul's story here. Um, Um, As as you might know, this is kind of the original, this is how it happened. This is how God took a hold uh, of Saul. He was on his way, on his own road, doing his own thing. And and God kind of met him on his road here. And eventually, this story of Saul, it gets repeated several times in the book of Acts. And you know, we'll see how far we're going to get in the the whole book of Acts here, if we'll finish the thing, if we'll take a break or what. But uh, for instance, chapter 22 of Acts is Paul... His name got changed to Paul along the way, but he's telling his story again, and you almost see the same accounts, identically again, a few, a few different verses here and there, but almost identically. And then in chapter 26, he's sharing his story again before, uh, uh, I think, before King Agrippa, and he shares almost the same story again, and and there's this, he kind of has different parts of his story, and you might call them different handles of Paul's story that we can learn from him. And, the, blank, the first blank here is that a lot of ways this story can serve as a pattern for us. Not that everyone's going to see a blinding light and have scales fall off and things like that, but there's a pattern that we see in this story here. One of the things I want you to just notice is, um, it's not even in the notes here, but Paul, Paul, when he shares this story, you know, he just kind of tells it like it was. He doesn't, uh, it's a kind of unique story, and in some ways you get a story like that, and you go, you know, it kind of can be a little embarrassing, I was headed to Damascus I'm persecuting Christians and then this light yeah I know this light blinds me knocks me to the ground it's kind of embarrassing I thought I you know had it all together in my persecution here and um, but he shares the same story accurately and honestly several times and I just want us to make sure that each one of us when you share your story that you share how it happened uh, maybe you don't remember a lot of the details maybe uh, maybe in your Road to Jesus. It was you were four years old, five years old, six years old, or maybe you were further along in life, like me, and 24 years old. But sometimes I see a temptation for people to embellish their stories because my story was not as cool as some guy that got struck by lightning. And so, you know, I want to add a little lightning to my story for effect. And somehow God needs a little more credibility uh, than what than what He has, and, and so I need to. Twice up my story for, for people to bid, and so we need to make sure. Proverbs twelve seventeen says, a truthful witness gives honest testimony, but a false witness tells lies. And we need to make sure when you share your story, there's things you don't remember. Well, when you share your story, don't remember things that that you really don't remember. Um, don't add things, details, or glamour things. If you know if your story is very simple, there's a power in honesty. There's a power even if it's Simply receiving Christ as a young, young person. There's a, uh, a simplicity, a childlike faith that could speak extremely powerfully without you having to put bells and whistles on it. So we just need to learn from his, his honest example and his accurate example. And um, but in each of our stories, there's, there are several components that uh, you can maybe if you haven't shared your testimony before, we have. I actually have a handout in the very back of the room that you can get on your way out. But there's a a really helpful tool that's called uh, Becoming a Contagious Christian. And in that tool, this book, um, there's just a way to kind of write your story and use some of these different things you see in Saul's story and do it with with your life and different parts of your life because all of us have a, you know, we can look at some of the examples from Paul's here before Christ. All of us kind of have a, before you knew Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, what was going on in your life you look at Paul's example here I think if you could summarize it in a lot of ways it's Acts chapter 3 or Acts 8 3 from last week where it just says Saul began to destroy the church some translations say Saul began ravaging the church you know that's a little about what was going on in Saul's life before he met Christ he was ravaging the church he was persecuting torturing those who said they followed Jesus and um, it goes on to say here in chapter 9 how he was on his way to not only persecute those close to home in Jerusalem, he was headed to another city. Probably six days travel for him to get to the city just to find some more Christians to persecute. That's how intense he was in his zeal against Christians. Um, and then it goes here that, that before Christ, is, you know, he was obviously a bad dude. Um, uh, his conversion story, we see that kind of verses 3 through 9 here. On his journey, a light from heaven flashed, and he heard this voice, ends up finding out it was Jesus who was speaking to him, and um, he just goes through this whole process of kind of the conversion, you know, and in Saul's story, it's hard to put an exact finger on right, where did he become a believer, you know, was when the light flashed, and he's like, "Uh uh-oh, he he is alive, or when Jesus first said, hey, I'm Jesus, and he's like, oh, the one who's supposed to be dead, the one who was the Messiah, but... okay. Or later on, some say it wasn't until he got to Damascus and someone prayed for him that after three days of meditating on his sinfulness against Jesus who really was alive and people who really were following him, after three days, he he came to understand the full, complete picture of Jesus as the Messiah, as his Master. It's hard to put an exact finger on it. We know by the time that uh, Ananias gets to him, he says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus... um, you know, and he goes on to talk like that, but I don't think Ananias used those words "brother" very lightly. I think he knew um, "brother" meant a brother in, in our faith, a brother in Christ. Now, so somewhere along the way, he he was converted. He had a personal uh, interaction, a personal experience with Jesus Himself to, to really go, He is the Messiah. He is alive. He is my Master. And then after that, we see. We see the change in Saul's life. There, you know. I just think about, like, verse, well, uh, verse 18 and verse 20. But it says, when he, when Ananias prayed for him, something like scales fell from his eyes. He could see again. He got up and was baptized. And then a couple of verses later, verse 20. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. You see this radical change. He gets up. The first thing he does. I'm just struck by. He went from not eating for three days, from being blind, and the first thing he does is what? He goes and grabs a bite to eat because everyone needs to eat. So you don't do things for Christ while you're hungry, right? No, he went and he got baptized immediately. And then after he took care of the baptism, he came back and ate and then regained his strength. He was probably shaky or you know just really weak when he went to get baptized. And, and then shortly after that, he begins to preach. You know, it's just like all hit the ground running. And... You know, uh, we see how, how he was changed after he met Hedea, Saul met Jesus. And so we just want to look for that in your own life. You know, these different handles. What were you like before Christ? How did your uh, your conversion experience come about? What was that like? And then what have things been like afterwards? And if you get this handout from the back, it just has some real helpful questions. Where were you spiritually before receiving Christ? What caused you to begin considering um, God? And God's Son is the solution for your needs then it leads to the conversion what realization did you come to that finally, that finally motivated you to receive Christ and specifically how did you receive Christ and then there's some things about what's going on in your life how did your life begin to change after you trusted Christ and so I hope that each one of you you see from this example that you just kind of look at your own life make sure you develop your story on campus with the A meeting we've been just a Sharing testimonies. We've had several testimonies in a row. Just what what God has done on people's lives when they began, when they came to faith in Christ and received Jesus into their life. And but I want to make sure all of you have a story. And I also want to make sure that um, you know, if you don't have a story, there was a time where I would have told people, "Yeah, I'm a Christian. I've been going to church for a long time. You know, um, I was born in a you know whatever hospital. Sometimes I was born at St. Luke Hospital." kind of Christian sounding name and I was a Christian ever ever since then. Well, um, yeah, that's interesting. But uh, if your story doesn't have some of these milestones, if you don't have a time where you personally came to Jesus Christ and invited Him into your life, um, you might want to get one of those. I know recently there was a young man in our midst here that just this, this past week probably had a story that was kind of a, his own story, his own road to God. But I think it might have lacked a personal connection distrusting trusting Jesus Christ and inviting him into his life. And this week, a young man did that and now has a story of before Christ and receiving Christ and a a new life ahead of him after receiving Christ. And I just want to make sure each one of you has that. If you kind of uh, talk to people sometimes, they're like, yeah, I was was born a Christian, been a Christian ever since. Well, you weren't born a Christian according to this Bible. You were born uh, with uh, a sinful attitude that was set against God from birth. And if you've ever had kids, you realize you probably weren't born with an uh, innate good attitude in your life. They're all, from, from birth, we, we stand away from God. And you need to have some turning point in your life to return to Jesus Christ specifically. And so, I just encourage you to think over your story. Maybe take a handout, work on your testimony. Uh, the guy that wrote that the book, Becoming a Contagious Fish, and one of the authors of it said, there was a time where uh, uh, some newspaper newspaper, uh, writer was interviewing him about his church, uh, Willow Creek Church in, in Chicago there. And uh, on the spot, you know, they were asking a lot about the church, but the writer just said, tell me your story. And he had been obviously working on this materials of knowing different parts of the story. And just in a few minutes, he shared his, his testimony of coming to faith in Christ. His story got included in that article. It got published uh, shortly after that in the largest, uh, one of the largest newspapers in Chicago. But he was able to share his story um, you know, in, in the time that he had in a very clear way that gave glory to God and I hope that all of you are able to do that and Saul shares this story once he becomes Paul a number of different times in the book of Acts and there's just something we can learn from those just a, kind of a finishing point there um, just a, to be reminded of is that Saul's story should remind us that God can still change lives radically today sometimes it's easy to go yeah, that was back then, God." did really cool things back then. Back then, God could really change lives. Nowadays, you know, yeah, God's given up on some people. Well, I just want to encourage you to, to look over the lives of people that maybe you would like to see them have a radical change of life like Saul did. Are there some people that maybe you've given up on, people you've stopped praying for, people you thought, you know, it's just not God's will for this one. If you think about Saul, he was a very unlikely candidate to become a follower of Jesus Christ. You know, when, when Jesus first stopped him in his tracks, what do you think uh, Saul's spiritual interest in Christianity was? It was like a negative 100. He was persecuting Christians. He was killing them. He wasn't actually spiritually interested. And God stopped him in his tracks. Um, you know, sometimes we have people that, that maybe they are Christians, but they've just been kind of wandering down a different road. If God can change someone like Paul, how much more someone who has his Holy Spirit in them? How much more? You know, Paul needed a 180 degree turn for persecuting the church and proclaiming Jesus. There's people we know that we've given up on that maybe they need this 45 degree turn. They're not going on the straight and narrow. They're going on the 45 degree and narrow or something like that. And I would just want to ask you, who who do you think of? Who in your world can God still change? that maybe you, you need fresh reminders that God still so radically changes lives today. i trading to pray for them today. We're gonna to look at this next point here. Um I've got a question for you before we start though, um how many of you how many of you in this room would like to become more useful for God? More useful in God how many of you like this? I'm going to let you find who doesn't want to become more useful. Jeremy, you carried off yeah there you go. all right I think most all of us would say I want to be used by God. I want to be more useful. I know in my own life there's times where I feel like God uses me to do something whether it's share the gospel with someone whether it's to preach His word whether it's he walked me into an opportunity to serve that I just go that was so God. And when you just get used by God I think it's one of the greatest feelings in all of life to be used by God. I think all of us want to be used more and more by God. We look at Saul and I think of All the people since Jesus, you could probably make the case that God used Saul, eventually, you know, he changed his name, he got changed to Paul, the Apostle Paul, possibly more than any other person who walked this planet since Jesus. And there's some things we can look at from Paul's life and his story that might give us a little heads up into the type of people that God uses still today. See, God doesn't change over time, He doesn't do things like Oh, I could do that back then when I had power to change lives, but nowadays God can't do that. Or to change the standard for who He uses uh, of people, it's still the same. We can look at some things. and I want to give you four four ways we can all be more useful to God. And we'll take them right from uh, some things we, we see in God's interaction with, with Paul. first one here, this verse says, But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument, to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings, and before the people of Israel. I will show them how much you must suffer for my name. One of the first things you have in your blanks is, um you want to be used more by God is be a tool to carry his name. And his name, I'm talking about the name of Jesus. You know, in, in the Christian life there's a lot of things that we probably more easily tend to. We're glad to serve, glad to help the poor, we're glad to do things but sometimes if we're put on the spot and like, you know, do you believe in Jesus? Or, uh, you know, something about Jesus specifically, we can tend to get a little bit embarrassed and not not that bold about it. And, you know, we see from Paul, that right from the beginning, Jesus says, hey, he's going to take my name in front of the Gentiles, in front of these rulers, in front of all these places, and he's going he's to carry my name. And if you want to be used more by God, I want to, Ask you, are you someone that carries the name of Jesus? Do you uh, do you look for opportunities to share Jesus' name with people? I think one of the most awesome ways to be used by God is if you've ever been a part of just sharing the gospel with someone. We have this presentation on, called the Outreach Diagram that kind of you draw up this whole picture of you know what God is like and what man is like, and you kind of draw this. Eventually, you still these different ways where you can not get for forgiveness for sins. A lot of different ways. And you just leave someone really discouraged and they're like, okay, I have sinned. You've got my sin laid out right here. There's no way I can get to God. And there's just like this. And then you get to share with them the good news. You draw right in the middle of the picture about Jesus Christ. And that's just, uh, I've seen some of the, the most powerful times I've seen God work is when you get to share the name of Jesus Christ with them and how he would forgive them and still love them and give them a new life. And I, I just encourage you to, to be someone who has carried the name of Jesus before four people. You know, um, I think we're going to watch the Super Bowl here, and it's easy to carry a lot of other names. You know, there's uh, we're going to see more advertisements. for. I think Reebok is the official sponsor of the jerseys that we'll see on the Super Bowl. And uh, what, Sobe, we'll see the Sobe Lizard and a lot of 3D ads. and um, You know, there's different people that carry names. They represent things in life. You know, Tiger Woods, what does he represent in life? Uh, Nike, right? Uh, Himself. Yeah, yeah, he got Tiger Gatorade juice or whatever. But um, a lot of times people carry, they, they represent someone else, something else. We have a chance to just represent Jesus and share his name with people. If you want to be used more by God, look for ways you can share what Jesus has done in your life. Another way to be more useful is be a tool to suffer for his name. You know, we look at, again, the Apostle Paul was used by God more than, you know, arguably anyone since Jesus, you know, and um, but also we look at his life and he probably suffered more uh, for Jesus than anyone besides Jesus himself, you know. So how many of us want to be used more by God? How many of you would like, if I could put a sign up sheet, would like to sign up for more suffering today? Sound good? Hey, Eric, you got some fun answers this morning, buddy. But uh, I think most of us, if you're like me, I go, I want to just really want to be used by God for things that are eternal, things that are beyond myself. But suffering, you know, is there a way to do this without too much suffering? You know, I I like the use. Don't want to suffer. Want to be used. Want to see supernatural things. Don't like pain. Don't like lots of things. Um, But if you want to be used by God, are you willing to suffer? They were willing to suffer persecution and things for for the name of Jesus. You know, Paul suffered a lot of loss. A lot of times suffering has to do with loss. Some of the things that um, Paul lost along the way or suffered loss in were like his, his reputation. He had this reputation for being the Pharisee of Pharisees, the zeal of God among the nation of Israel. He had this uh, a popularity among the people of Israel the majority of the people at the time there and when it became time for him to be an instrument for Jesus you know that all of a sudden became an unpopular thing that was no longer a, a thing of pride but a thing maybe of, of shame from the people who would have lifted him up before you know uh, Paul, suffered Paul suffered loss of health along the way he had many health issues he physically was beaten he was Stone. there was one time they shown him they thought he was dead and they left him and he backed up to serve the Lord more um, he you know he suffered loss of loved ones. there were dear ones that Paul loved who lost their lives for Jesus it was, but he was prepared to suffer to be an instrument for the Lord. I just want to ask you are you are you willing to suffer? do you want to be used by God? are you willing to suffer to be used by God because you see Paul's example. You know, the example of we're all trying to follow is Jesus. And, and no one person in a human body has suffered more unjustly in this world than Jesus. If you want to be used for His purposes, you, you probably need to think about suffering. One of the things you might have to suffer, it could be the greatest form of suffering in the United States, is suffering inconvenience. You know, we live in this world of like, I want to suffer for Jesus as long as I have high definition. I want to suffer for Jesus, but, boy, well, I sure want that movie in Blu-ray. Uh, I'm ready to suffer for Jesus as long as my coffee is hot and, it, you know, it's non-fat with extra whip, and I'm ready to do everything for Jesus. But, you know, um, are you willing to suffer convenience? We don't even get started on I mean, this. So we're willing to set aside some of our American conveniences, some of our personal conveniences in life, and get on with the real suffering. So if you're going to be a tool... For, for God, more useful. Be ready to suffer. Another way is to be a tool we see in Paul's example is we need to be an obedient tool. Uh, think of some of the hardest things in the Christian life of sharing our faith, telling someone else just point blank, bluntly maybe, about Jesus and about what He's done in our lives and about what He can do for someone else. And you look at some of the things, sometimes people with, with baptism, you know, it could be like, well, oh, baptism is kind of like i got to make a statement in front of people. I don't know if I'm ready Well, I don't know if it's the water's too cold or too hot or if there's too many people or too few or what did Paul do? He was three days without eating and he jumped right in to identify himself with Jesus Christ. And then after that, one of the next harder things to do, start preaching. He got out publicly and started preaching about Jesus. And if you want to be used by God more, you need to be an obedient tool. And I think about, got a few odds and ends over here. Let's see. Okay. See, I've a few different tools here, but sometimes I think about them. Maybe God is like this skilled surgeon, and He's looking for tools, obedient tools, that are like, almost like a surgeon's scalpel. And I don't know a lot about surgeon's scalpels, I don't know what they look like. I've got my representation of one here. It's not probably a. But the idea of a scalpel is that you can use. It's in great detail with intricate precision. And if the scalpel is a tool in God's hands, God can have things done down to great detail with someone who, who is sensitive and obedient to Him. He can do great things. He can do heart surgery or something like that. But a lot of times we're objects of obedience If it comes to the us to the scalpel. We're a little more dull. We're a little more like, yeah, if God tells me ten times and knocks me over the head, I'll do it. And we're kind of like, maybe something like this, little plastic serving ladle. Uh, Usefulness in heart surgery. How how helpful would this be? You know, I think eventually if you get everything opened up and the heart cut out, maybe you could get a ladle and use it as a part of the surgery. But if you're trying to initially kind of get things going and, you know, it's kind of like if I, you know, work at it a little bit. God is looking for some obedient scalpels. A lot of times we're like wet noodles, you know. If God flings it, maybe we can hit a button on a machine and He can do something with us. But, but God is looking for obedience tools. You know, when making disciples of Jesus, Jesus said, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. I just want to ask you how obedient have you been to, to the Lord's voice, to the Lord's word? Sometimes we want to hear God say, hey, yeah, go do this crazy thing. What about simple things that He's already stated in His word that He wants us to do? Share our faith, get baptized, baptize others, serve um, with humility, what sort of instrument are you? What sort of instrument do you want to be a? The last area here, um we talk about being an instrument for God is um if we can here. So yeah, we're gonna be wrapping up here shortly. Um, I think we put the verse down here. If, if you have a house Bible you could turn there with me. Second Timothy two twenty. Second Timothy, and this is Paul, the apostle Paul, writing to another uh, to, to Timothy. A young follower of Christ, a young leader. And he says this to Timothy. Second Timothy two twenty. It is before Titus and after Thessalonians chapter two. And it says this in a large house there are many there are articles, vessels, instruments, not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for noble purposes, some for ignoble If a man cleanses himself from the latter, he will be an instrument for noble purposes, made holy, useful to the master, prepared to do any good work. So Paul is saying, hey, there are different types of instruments in God's kingdom. Some are useful and as precious as gold and silver and some are maybe used for less noble purposes. The word is often rendered honorable. Maybe they're used for less honorable things. You know, you could say, "Oh, that's not fair. God made me, a, you know, a, a, a ladle, and He makes someone else a chapel. But this relates to things that can change in our lives. Things that He says um, that we should cleanse ourselves, so that we may be useful to the Master. And, you know, just think about the the point here: we need to be a clean tool. Maybe some of the things that prevent these other areas are things in our life that need to be cleaned out. Um, Maybe we're embarrassed to carry His name. Maybe we just don't like the inconvenience of suffering. Maybe we're a stubborn tool and we we want to be stubborn for Jesus or something. But we need to be a clean tool, cleaned out of a lot of these things that would prevent us from being useful. And sometimes I liken it to um, the analogy, is kind of like, oh, maybe dishes in your home. Um, If you're like me, we've, we've got a fun little dishwasher and we load it up and depending on how many dishes we have at home, Depends how full the dishwasher gets and how full the dishwasher gets seems to impact sometimes how clean the dishes get. And so sometimes we have a pretty full load, we run it, and you know, my wife or myself we put the dishes away in the cabinet and we have our glasses up on high there and then sometimes we go to get a drink, you have a nice cool glass of water, you reach up on the shelf and you feel crusties on the glass. Now, if you're like me, I'm like I don't want to drink out of a crusty glass. Some of you might. Um, but I take that glass and I put it back and I find another glass I find a clean one and then I drink out of that and you know in some ways it it might be simple but in some ways God is is kind of like that and he says you know there's certain people I will use and there's certain things I will use in a person's life and if there's things that are not there or things that blemish that I might use it for something but I'm not going to maybe use it now maybe I'll use it for later um, and we have things like that in our lives. And, and you know, um, sometimes we can be like me. Maybe I shouldn't put them back on the shelf. We can laugh at that. But in your own life, in your character, and things that God wants to cleanse, if you put things back in the cupboard, push them to the back and hope that, well, maybe God will use me because of these other areas of my life that are much cleaner. I just think about um, if if you've got a glass that's like 95% clean. You know, got this nice, shiny glass, but it just happened to get... Uh, frosted flakes, you know, through the dishwashing cycle and melted to the bottom of the cup there, and 95% of it's clean. Would you drink out of that glass with the frosted flakes glued to the bottom? Probably not. You know, there's areas of our life, whether it's pride, whether it's uh, selfish ambition, or it's different areas where we go, yeah, but I have so many good areas. Yeah, but there's some areas that are going to be preventing you from being fully useful to the Master. I think about one of the dishes I found in the, in the back there. This is one in uh, the coffee ministry, I think, here. That's, uh, I'm just I found it. found it on a shelf. I don't even know if this is a glass. It looks more like a vase or something, but it's got some crusty junkies or something. And it's, it's not a lot. The vast majority of the vase is clean, even the inside. But there's some spots that you just go, that would be gross. And um, are you a clean tool? Have you got areas of your life that God wants to do some scrubbing on? Some of those areas, you can just tend to put them off, and you can put them off the rest of your life. It'll affect your usefulness for the rest of your life. But some of these areas, really, we take God's Word, and it can scrub on those character areas. Maybe God's Spirit speaking to us. Maybe God's Spirit using another Spirit filled believer. And God wants to cleanse each one of us and make us useful for His kingdom, even as as the apostle Paul was useful and so I encourage you to look over your life maybe pray about some areas maybe there's a little stubbornness stuck on some things maybe there's some some pride or some um convenience issues going on in your world and just ask God to show them to you and maybe gently help you scrub them sometimes you get things stuck on kind of crusty it's not a gentle scrub and it takes a little work it takes a little soaking but in this church family environment is a great place for God to help make each one of us more and more useful. Close. I'm just going to give you probably the blank of this last uh, this last couple of points so you can fill out your sheets and we'll call it a morning here. Um, the last area just is about persecution. You know, Jesus said, hey, look, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Paul went so far as to say, in fact, Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So this first point here, the blank is as a follower of Jesus, persecution is inevitable is a good word, if you can spell it. Uh, I went with promise. Persecution is promise. It is inevitable. It is unavoidable. Jesus said this. They they persecuted Him. And if we're going to follow Him and and do a semi-good job of it, we are going to get persecuted as well. And I like this promise. It was a, a thought that Paul had along with his persecution because he went through the list. He got beaten like five times. He, he got stoned. He got uh, uh, shipwrecked. He had all sorts of things. But it's like God just took him, picked him up again and put him back to use, put him back to work. And Paul had this to say about God's protection and persecution. He said... The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. God will rescue us from persecution. You know, if, uh, if the tides change, you know, Jeff talked about a little uh, about persecution uh, several weeks ago when talking about Stephen. You know, there will be a time, a lot of persecution occurred regionally. You know, back in Paul's days, of the persecution in Jerusalem and kind of in the uh, nation of Israel. But it seemed like it opened and closed with Paul and then they enjoyed a time of peace. And then it popped back up in Rome and then it popped back up regionally in places. Jesus said to his disciples, there will be a day where the entire world will persecute you as followers of Christ. I don't think we've seen that day yet. I don't think there's been a day where the entire world was so united and organized that they could, as one, persecute Christians. I think Jesus' thoughts on that, Matthew 24, and some of them are... They're going to be more true for us than for any other disciple who's walked this planet. And he said, all nations will will hate you because of me. I wonder if sometimes there in this economic trouble that uh, these troubles are worldwide. And there's more and more unity on how do we solve this as a world. I wonder if in that structure of unity would not be something that just with a drop, a drop of a hat can change the persecution on, on Christians. You know, Persecution with Stephen, it wasn't like it was going and going and it just happened to him. He was the first one, and it said it just unleashed after that. And I wonder if we might not live in a generation who could see worldwide persecution of Christians, but the point is God can rescue us from all persecution. And I like this quote from Charles Spurgeon. I'll just leave you with this. He just said, "I am immortal, till so my work is done." You are immortal. You are invincible, unstoppable, until God has accomplished His purpose for you. And then at that point, like uh, Paul says here, well, then He'll bring me safely into His heavenly kingdom. Paul Paul was protected by persecution and trial after trial after trial until God was done and He safely brought him home. The first apostles, they were persecuted until they died. Most of them died a martyr's death. But it wasn't until God was done accomplishing His purpose through each one, I just want to let you know that you are immortal until God is done with you. Until He's done using you, nothing you can do to take yourself home early, um, and nothing you can do to stay longer than God has planned for you in this life. But my encouragement to everyone would be, therefore, make yourself as useful as possible so that you, uh, I try to make the case for God sometimes, God, I'm, I'm trying, I want to share the gospel more, If you take me out now. You know, you'll probably miss some opportunities or something, but God looked at each one of our lives and says, you know, it's time to bring you safely home, to be with me in heaven. But my hope is that each one of us would be maximized in our usefulness for the name of Jesus Christ until either He returns or until He brings us safely home. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank You so much that, that You are alive as you revealed to Saul who thought you were dead, who thought that you were not, not who you said you were, you are alive. You are just as alive today as you were back then when you spoke to him. Lord, I pray that you would help each one of us to see the story you've given us, the road you've given each one of us to meet you. I pray you'd help us to share that story, to share the awesome things you've done in our lives. Lord Jesus, I pray you'd make each one of us useful instruments, clean vessels, who you can use for anything you want in your kingdom. I pray that you would help each one of us here in this Firehouse Church to be as useful for you as as is possible by your grace. And we just ask for this together. We we praise you. We thank you for saving each one of us. Um we just thank you together. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Amen. All right, well, thank you guys for coming. I look forward to seeing you at the Super Bowl party this afternoon. Um,